Welcome to the WAPcast. This is Nat, and I'm here to make the case for reading WAP, aka War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. My goal in making this very self-indulgent little podcast is mostly to simultaneously document my journey of reading what is called the greatest novel of all time. And hopefully, if anyone listens, (laughs) to break down some common misconceptions you may have about reading this big dump truck of a book. In this first episode, I want to address the question I ask myself every time I see this brick house on my bedside table. Why the hell am I doing this? It has never actually been on my reading bucket list to read this book. The Tolstoy novel I had always thought I would read one day is Anna Karenina. When I was a kid, I saw my sister's copy of that book in her room, and I thought that the Barnes & Noble Classics paperback edition of the book was so beautiful. It had a painting of an elegant lady I would later come to know as The Unknown Woman by Ivan Kromskoy, framed in dark purples on the cover. I also fell in love with Joe Wright's Anna Karenina, whose couture, costume design, and theatrical world-building captured the imaginations of the Kira Knightley period drama generation, aka those of us who grew up on her in various corset films. But here I am, reading War and Peace without even having so much as a copy of Anna Karenina in my possession. So... I have a short answer as to why I am reading this book, and the short answer is um, I had two major influences of people who were reading it, who I got to personally witness their reactions. And the first is my friend Kedna on Twitter, um, who was reading it um, both on Twitter and via Goodreads and I saw her reactions there and I was just like wow this is not just a dusty old book this is really something that can move you this is something that can make you really emotional and I also want to give full credit to her for calling War and Peace WAP it is absolutely her invention and I want to give credit where it is due um The second influence that I had was by a booktuber named Emmy on YouTube who was reading War and Peace over the past couple of months um, and was making these very lovely reading vlogs about it. And she was just so emotionally affected by it and just found the writing so beautiful that I was like, wow, okay, this is really something that would really affect me. This is not just something I would read to say that I read this really long book, although having that credit is always a good thing. Um, So those are my short answers as to why I started reading this book. Um, The long answers are more to do about why this book is relevant again now, why are more people reading it, and why are you probably seeing some more content about it. So the main thing I need to address if I'm going to make a little podcast about War and Peace is Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet of 1812, which is a 
rather popular musical that made its Broadway premiere in 2016. I had heard of this musical in passing um, and only by the name of Great Comet, so I was never directly told, oh, this is a musical about War and Peace. (laughs) Um, I heard it was a good musical, but I never heard what the premise was. Um, Specifically, if you want to know how this ties into War and Peace, um, this musical is an adaptation of Volume 4, Book 1, which is about 70 pages of War and Peace, which they they directly address in the musical itself, in the introduction, uh, in a very cheeky, self-referential way. And so the popularity of this musical caused a big resurgence of interest in the novel, particularly among those of us who are (laughs) perpetually online. Um, And although the musical adapts a very small part of the novel, leaving out multiple prominent figures, it does bring Tolstoy's very complex characters out of the context of this huge, dusty novel, and it makes them fresh and modern. And now more people are seeing these characters as relatable and interesting and are making fan content about them, and that intrigued me. Now you may be asking, Nat, do you like Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet of 1812? Will you be talking about this musical? And my very diplomatic answer is that I'm still letting it grow on me. (laughs) And I still haven't fully listened to the entire thing because the style of the writing of the music is very... It's very different. If you've listened to it, you may know that, and it's just taking some getting used to, but I would like to give it more chances, specifically just to see what it does with the characters who I have grown to love. So I will be very diplomatic and say, I don't know yet, (laughs) but I'm mostly going to be talking about the book because that's what I'm currently embroiled in, and that's what I'm really interested in documenting the journey of experiencing. So I had to address that here and perhaps I will talk about it again in the future. The other thing that I wanted to address that I think has caused a resurgence in younger people reading it or people, you know, online, you know, more fandom type of people, um, is because of the rise of dark academia. Um, With the explosion of this aesthetic in the last couple years, there came a big resurgence in classical literature. People are freshly romanticizing these books. They're seeing them as something that, you know, can transport them to this, like, beautiful academic setting and kind of an escapist Uh, setting instead of just seeing them purely as something that you read for school or something that's this really daunting dry task it's something that people are seeking out actively for themselves for fun because of this aesthetic because of this encouragement of um, reading the classics again and I believe that's why I even saw the booktuber that Um, was reading this is because the algorithm is supporting a lot more booktube channels lately because so many of them are tagging their videos with dark academia or more more and more people are looking up you know reading the classics or, or are interested in that so I think that's why 
this book is more relevant now and why it's come more into my awareness and why it feels like something worth reading, why it feels like something that would be relevant to me. So all of those factors combined to make me feel like this was a book I really wanted to experience for myself. I felt that I wanted all it had to offer. The complex characters with very contemporary, relatable struggles, the philosophical musings, and the grand scope and theorizing of history, which I did actually go to school for, by the way. So I may be a bit more (laughs) open to reading about battle scenes than other people. So the next thing I want to address is just sort of a quick and dirty summary of what this book is about. If you still have no clue, if you've just heard the title of the book or you've just heard, you know, people mention in passing that you're like, what happens in this book? Um, I'm just going to give you a quick book flap sort of rundown. So first off, I want you to know this is not a novel and it's not a history book and it's not a philosophy book. It's all of those things and more. That's why it's so long is because it's trying to accomplish many things at once. So even though it's not technically a novel, um, you do follow the stories and developments of characters. Um, the most well-known of these characters who are mentioned you know, by name in the name of the musical are Pierre and Natasha and also Andre, who's not part of the musical, but who is like the other most notorious character from the book. So the, the bigger context of the story is that it's set during the Napoleonic Wars from the perspective of Russians living during this time. The book begins in 1805 and the events of the main story end in 1812, although there is an epilogue that goes beyond that to sort of sum up, you know, what the um, trajectory of the characters' lives is after the main events of the Napoleonic Wars in Russia. But it really also exists kind of outside of this timeline because there is so much philosophical and spiritual musing within this book. And so it's not simply a historical chronicle. It's not just telling you what happens in these people's lives. So it goes beyond that and is really talking about the nature of destiny, um, the nature of, you know, the direction of our lives and also the big forces of history. Why do things happen? What are the main um, motivations for these big tides and waves of history? Why do things come and go and rise and fall and all of those things? So that is my quick and dirty summary of what War and Peace is about without necessarily telling you exactly what happens. Although the other thing I want to say about it is it is really a character-driven story. I mean, you really are seeing these people over a very formative point of their lives, and they really become completely different people. None of them are stagnant. None of them stay the same. 
And that's very interesting. I think that's an underrated part of the story, which is something I definitely want to tap into here. I want to make you feel more in touch with these characters and see why they are so relatable and why they're so interesting to us even today, um, so many years after the book was written. The last thing I wanted to talk about in this introductory episode is the edition and translation that I am reading and just sort of talking about what is summarized in the introduction that is in the translation I am reading. So I am reading um, one of the much coveted (laughs) Instagram worthy cloth-bound penguin classics um, of War and Peace, and it is so beautiful. I'm so glad I invested in this edition. It has this beautiful comet motif all over it, and this translation um, is by Anthony Briggs. So translation is very important when you are choosing to read uh, any Tolstoy um, novel, really, but particularly War and Peace because it is so long, and so you really want to make sure you are getting the experience that you want, um, and that you like the translation style, and that it's something that you feel like you can get into or you can flow with. Um, so I'm very happy that I chose the style that or the translation that I did because something that he speaks about in the translator's note is trying to make it um, as easily readable by a contemporary audience as possible. So it's one of the newest translations of um, War and Peace and the one that's considered the sort of cornerstone translation is one by translators that were you know, alive at the same time as Tolstoy and that worked with him directly. That's considered the um, pinnacle of the War and Peace translations. But I'm actually quite glad I didn't pick that one up because a big thing in War and Peace that I should warn you about now is that a lot of it is written in French, actually, because a big characteristic of Imperial Russia from the 1700s through the 1800s is that French was the diplomatic language of the time, kind of in the way that English has become the new universal language of diplomacy. Um, So many aristocrats would speak in French um, because they were considered to be more worldly. They were traveling to other countries. They were more in connection with the rest of Europe. So many of these characters speak casually in French to each other in their everyday lives. And so that is actually written in throughout much of the book. And there are footnotes throughout the book to translate the French. And I am actually quite glad that I picked up this translation because Anthony Briggs insisted on translating pretty much all of the French 
except for very easily understood phrases that you'd probably already know the meaning of, like chéri or monsieur, like just very easy phrases like that. Um, I'm very glad that I picked this up because I find having to look at footnotes all the time to be very disruptive to the reading experience. And I don't think I necessarily need the French in order to get the full experience of the book. Um, and if it's well translated and isn't clunky or artificial, then I don't really see an issue with translating all of the French. Um, because also that's something I already knew. I already knew that Russian aristocrats at this time spoke in French often. I didn't necessarily need to learn that through War and Peace. So um, I really respected his sort of thesis or his mindset in the translator's note of making this story as fresh and accessible as possible. Because as I've been saying throughout all of this, that's what I've really been realizing through the reactions I've seen, through the adaptations, through the fan content, is that this is truly a story that can be related to by anyone from any time period because of the very human, very relatable um, experiences that the characters go through and the universal themes that are discussed throughout. So I think that's a really good um, motivation for the translator to have. Um, and I know there's lots of <laughs> philosophical questions surrounding translation that I can't comment on because I am not a linguist. But as a reader, I'm happy that I picked up this because it makes it even more readable than I think it already is just because the language is so clear and um, so human and grounded. Um, so... That I just wanted to talk about that because that's I'm documenting my experience here. And last thing I wanted to run over is just the introduction. So I found the introduction to be helpful because I knew some of Tolstoy's life, I knew some of um, his inclinations and his philosophical leanings, but I didn't know all of these details about his life that were relevant to the book. And that's mainly what this introduction is focused on. Other editions of the book have introductions that really are going deeply into the themes of the book, um, more into the story itself. This is much more about Tolstoy's life and his motivations and process of writing the book. So this is talking about his experience as a soldier in war and his family connection to the Napoleonic Wars. And it talks about his experience with his wife which and his sort of personal relationships, which are, you know, interesting to know about because you could see how perhaps he could have applied that to the complicated relationships of the characters. And I think it's also really 
important to know about Tolstoy's personal philosophy. And I mean, even though he makes it very clear in the book, <laughs> it's just interesting to learn that and to know that. And it's also good to know that he himself is an arist was an aristocrat, came from an aristocratic family, which is why he mainly writes about aristocratic families, because that's the world that he knew. But you can tell that he was looking for something beyond that and was trying to build a life or a philosophy beyond the aristocratic life he led, which I can respect. So I really can't think of anything else to ramble on about in an introductory episode about War and Peace. All that's left to do is to get right into the WAP <laughs> properly after this. So I will close off for now. Until next time, this has been the WAPcast, and I hope you will tune in again.